This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Thanks for joining us today on Side Alpha Podcast. With us is the president of the International Society of Fire Service Instructors, Chief Peter Van Dorp. Before we kick it off uh, with uh, Chief Van Dorp, let's hear a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha Podcast is sponsored by EF Johnson, a JVC Kenwood company. As a leader in mission critical communications for more than 90 years, we have made it our mission to make safe simple. Okay, I'm really happy today that uh, we're able to talk with the president of the International Society of Fire Service Instructors, Chief Peter Van Dorp. Chief Van Dorp retired as the fire chief from the Algonquin Lake in the Hills Fire Protection District in Illinois in 2019, following a 33-year career with the Chicago Fire Department. Chief Van Dorp has presented at various venues and conferences all over the United States, and he serves on the advisory board of Underwriter Laboratories, uh, FSRI, and he has addressed the United States Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on the flammability standards and flame retardant chemicals. Chief Van Dorp, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it, uh, especially this time of year and given this year when uh, we've been all kind of like crammed in with the pandemic. And then in Chicago here, we've got bitter cold and lots of snow on top of it. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to engage with the wider world. Yeah, uh, and, and we uh, we can definitely uh, commiserate with you, although um, it's difficult for me sometimes to commiserate on the cold from sunny Florida. Uh, but uh, I do hope that uh, we can push some of that warmth up your way soon because I know uh, a lot of the country is in a lot uh, a, a bad shape as it is with all these storms. So thanks again. Let's jump right into the uh, discussion here today. Um, I do think it's important that uh, we make sure our listeners understand who and what uh, ISFSI is. Uh, can you give our listeners who may not be familiar with it a, a glimpse into the organization's mission and vision? Sure. So we are a member-funded, member-driven organization, not-for-profit, obviously, and uh, we see our mission as inspiring, supporting, and elevating fire service instructors. Um, you know, when you when you look around you, um, most jurisdictions, most states, most provinces, most places. Uh, certainly, I know this from my my career. Uh, I got certified left, right, and center. Right? We do a good job of certifying folks. We don't do such a good job of qualifying them. Right? Following up that certification with support, with continuing education. And, and our mission is is to do that for the fire service instructor. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's really a big problem in a, in a lot of areas is we do great given the certifications, but then following that up with development and, uh, you know, and an advancement beyond the certification is a big deal. So I, I appreciate you guys uh, doing that in the instructor uh, in the instructor ward world. Uh, so you you took the helm at ISFSI at a uh, pretty unique time in our history. We kind of talked about part of it there a second ago, and um, that, that time in history I'm talking about is where the fire service instructors suddenly had to figure out how to train their members while following pandemic protocols. 
Um, and also, you know, just the increased safety and PPE guidance that, you know, might be normal for an EMS instructor, uh, but not so normal for a fire instructor. Um, you know, I think we were all used to the occasional Zoom meeting or Teams or whatever. But this past year, my goodness, uh, you know, yeah. how has that experience and an unintentional experiment really worked out? Yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I wasn't surprised because I have a habit of stepping on a grenade every time I make a career move, <laughs> um, and, and I won't bore your listeners with the details of those. But it has been a pattern in my professional life. Uh, you know, I take one step back, and everybody else takes two, and then I find myself here I am, right? Um, but, but to your point, um, you know, the interesting thing I think, for, first and foremost, I think um, that the fire service has done its usual outstanding job at dealing with this. Um, you know, what we do as a fire service is the impossible job with not enough equipment, not enough personnel. You know, we show up, we make things right, we clean up the mess, we go home. That's what we do so well. And once again, I think we stepped up to the plate on this. Um, it, it was a shock. It, you know, it came, we weren't like anybody else. We weren't exactly prepared. But at the end of the day, right, we've all done pandemic drills. Uh, we've all, we all know what, <clears throat> excuse me, we all know what, you know, safety protocols are all about. Uh, we may, to, may have had to up our game a little bit, but that's all we really had to do was up our game. None of this was really new to us. One of the first conversations I had with some folks, uh, because pretty much everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody on the job now came on post the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. And what we, what we confronted here was very similar to what we confronted with the AIDS epidemic early on. We didn't know what it was. We weren't sure how it was spreading. We weren't sure what protocols would work and what wouldn't. Um, but we got through that, right? Yeah. We went back to yeah, we went back to best practices and we got through that. And um I and I think, you know, we demonstrated our ability to do that again. And in the in the process, as you pointed out, we got good at things that we needed to get good at, like online training and virtual learning. And, you know, it forced us to things we were taking baby steps towards and avoiding if we could, because we weren't completely comfortable with them. We were forced to, to jump in with both, uh, both feet. You know, I'll give you an example from the instructor society. We have, uh, we do, uh, credentialing for 1403 instructors, right? For live burn training and fixed facility. And it's obviously a very hands-on class. Well, when everything got shut down, we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we, there's still a demand for this. How do, how do we make this happen? Um, and we, we couldn't make it happen virtually. We decided that it just the quality would be gone. But once things started to open up again, we were able to revamp the class enough that we could continue to deliver it. And that was a benefit to the organization, to the class itself, to the students, because we took a long, hard look at that class and we fixed a lot of the ongoing issues with it that were always getting backburnered in the past, right? So yeah. the, the urgency of what we all had to go through in the last year, I think it's given us all an opportunity to sort of polish up our game where, where it needs to polish it. Yeah, no, it's great observation. And I'm glad to hear about the, the 1403 piece. You know, we yeah. almost, almost a lost art uh, when you talk about acquired structures and uh, live fire. Yeah. Uh, training and and I really would love to see more of that, um, you know, um, happen. And it, it while there are a lot of steps I know you got to take, there are steps worth taking. 
Sure. I appreciate the organization taking that seriously and, and trying to take it head on because a lot of departments have just written 1403 type uh, burns yeah. off. So. Yeah, well, it, it's so difficult. And that, that's, again, where we're, we're, as a society, we're trying to have the value added, right? Is it, yeah. It's a very difficult program to, to do properly. It's yeah. not one of these things you can just punch the ticket on. Uh, and it takes a really good, dedicated staff of uh, high-quality instructors and a solid program that gets reviewed a lot, right? Because, you know, those NFPA standards undergo revisions. And, um, and we have that. And so we're, we're able to deliver. We probably had a couple hundred students a year. Yeah. Um, so it's a good yeah. program. Yeah, good. Yeah. And, I, you know, like I said, the NFPA standards constantly being revised. I'm in the middle of uh, assisting with that right now. So it's uh, yeah. uh, one of those areas that uh, constantly needs to be looked at. But I'm just I'm glad you had the opportunity to work on that. You know, as this yeah. uh, pandemic wears on, we've uh, certainly gotten creative with how uh, we're reaching our members. Um, you know, conferences used to be the big thing, obviously, and we'd have, what, six, seven, eight, nine big conferences a year uh, of different uh, organizations, and it's been just about zero uh, live yeah. conferences. So, um, you know, we're, we're reaching people differently, and I'm sure uh, ISFSI is no exception. Um, you have a conference coming up, though, uh, March 24th and 25th. Uh, it is right. the uh, ISFSI uh, Virtual Professional Development Conference. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, one of our Fire Rescue One board members, Keith Stakes, and uh, one of our writers, uh, uh, Chief Coy, uh, are on the conference panel. Uh, I'm yep. sure our listeners would love to know more about that event, uh, and I'm sure you'd love to talk about it. Heck, I'd love to hear about it. So, uh, Yeah, I, of course I'd love to talk about it. We're, yeah. So as you mentioned, like everything got shut down. And, uh, of course, everybody tried to put it back up again, but it's still, you know, we're, we're still kind of wandering around in the dark with a lot of these things. And, and the unfortunate part of all this, I think, is that the social aspect is what we're missing, right? I mean, people go to FDIC for the social contact as much as they do for the education and the trade shows. And that's the same with other conferences as well. And I don't mean it in a lighthearted way. It's not about the party. It's about that being with your peers, being with your you know people that think like you and dream like you and motivate like you. And we all get our, you know, we all get our batteries charged when we go to these events. And I think that's what we've really missed. And that's where it's, it's hard to, um, to replicate that with the virtual environment but we're making an effort and we're, we're learning that this can be done. You can, you know, it's never the same. It's like, you know, nothing is as good as live fire hands on training, but that doesn't mean that there isn't value in all the other ones. Right. Sure. So we're trying to have as, as much of a value-added conference as we can possibly have. We've got two great keynoters. We've got chief Billy Goldfeder. We've got chief Tip Tiffany Boyd Wesley, um, out of the Arlington, Virginia fire department. Um, they're both doing keynotes for us, very energetic, very uplifting, you know, just what you need keynotes to be. Sure. You mentioned a couple of our presenters, and if you, if you look down, and I'm just going to really quickly go through the lineup. There's six major presentations. Chief Coy is, is beyond 1041, right? How, how do you – all right, so the, you're, you're a certified instructor now. How, how do you become one, right? What, what about your presence? What about your teaching style? What about those sorts of things? How, can you look? Can you work on those? And yes, you can, and he can show you how to do it. Uh, Brad French is just, he, he's just beyond 
amazing when it talks about taking that average company officer and most departments, any officer, a big part of their job is to be the training officer in some way, shape or form. And, and Brad does a great job on how do you, how do you motivate yourself and educate yourself to do that? Um, Jesse Marcotte is going to be doing um, this whole idea of the modern times, modern techniques. You know, how do you use the internet? How do you use this conferencing stuff? How do you make it work for your students? Um, we've got Jacob McCaffrey. Uh, he, he talks about uh, the, uh, the the broader spectrum. So for those guys moving into becoming trained, not just instructors, but training officers, program design, that kind of stuff, he can he's going to talk about that. Many people know Forrest Reader for he's been at FDIC uh, forever, and uh, he's going to talk about assessment centers for training officers and instructors. Uh, Keith Stakes is, as you mentioned, he's on your board as well, and uh, he's one of the primary engineers with ULFSRI, and Keith does a great job, a really good, you know, because one of the things that, that um, many people don't appreciate about the staff at FSI um, is that they do a lot of, they do their own firefighting, right? So when they're doing these burns and somebody calls in to put the fire out, it's their staff that does that. And Keith's one of the guys that does most of the firefighting. So he brings a unique perspective. You know, he was actually in there doing it. So it's not just the data, it's also his personal experience. And that's a great combination to have when you're trying to bring the science to the street. Uh, real quick, I'll wrap up the other guys. John Murphy, going to talk about instructor uh, uh, liability as it relates to the, the law. John's a lawyer, and he can help you with, you know, if you don't pay, you don't want to have to pay attention to this stuff, but you really do. Uh, and the same thing with Bill Webb. He's going to talk about government and the fire service and how that impacts you as an instructor. So I think you can see um, that we got, you know, a line of folks that are going to help. So you've been minted an instructor, or you've been asked with some instruction or with some program development. Now what do I do, right? Yeah. Or if this is the if this is the career path, if this is the way I want my career to go, how do I how do I, you know, really maximize my impact as an instructor within my department? Um, you know, where do I go for that extra that tweaking that I need, that extra education I need, that insight that I need? And I'll tell you, we'll get into it later. I hope the mentorship I need. We're developing a formal mentor, you know, peer reviewed mentorship program for our members that I think is just going to be spectacular. So you're unveiling that, or you that's already in place? It's uh, it, it's uh, it's going to be in March. It's going to get launched launched in March. We got everything going on in March. We're doing the virtual conference. We've got the, the mentoring program we're going to launch, and we've also got a um, professional development matrix that we want to launch. Um, and that goes beyond just instructors. If you think about it, Mark, there's probably no place you can go. A young firefighter or, you know, the guy with a few years under his belt, and, and he's not in a major metropolitan fire department that has a lot of resources and mentors and people and guidance. Right? He's kind of, and, and that's the majority of the fire service, more or less on your own. How do I develop myself over the course of my career, right? What, what do I need to know? What education do I need? What's, and, and one place where you can look at that whole picture and sort of get an idea of, okay, this is what my career is going to look like from a professional development standpoint. And so we're going to, we're going to jump on that one and we're going to try. Yeah. Well, um, no, that, that's, you know. a, that's a lot of heavy hitting there uh, for this. Oh, yeah. Is there a particular website uh, you want to refer folks to or? So isfsi.org, it's all there. Um, you know, a lot of it's accessible even for non-members. You can get a very clear idea of what's going on. 
Um, and really, I, I got to, you know, of course I got to do the pitch and I mean this in all sincerity. I think we got a great lineup for our conference. You can, you know, you can pay for the conference and get a break on your first year membership all together, um, and be able to take advantage of all these things. Um, you know, at a reduced rate for the first year, you know how all that goes. And, um, I think it's a good opportunity, right? And we would normally do a similar thing at FDIC. We'd always have, a, if you renewed or signed up at FDIC, we gave you a discounted rate. And uh, so we're, we're doing a similar thing here with our own conference. Okay. So that we're, we're really trying to give anybody that, that jumps in um, the best possible experience they can have with us. You know, we're, we're bringing out our A-team, and, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of follow-up. So okay. it'll be a good opportunity. Yeah. Excellent. So for the opportunity to make the pitch, that's important. Yeah, no. Got to get the word out. I agree uh, 100%, and I uh, appreciate you guys. You know, like a a lot of places are trying, and uh, some places Mm -hmm. have just had to cancel because they just can't make it work. So I appreciate you putting this together. And uh, yeah, it's we're fortunate that we have a staff that knows how to do this stuff. You know, because that's everybody. You know, a Zoom meeting is one thing, or you know, but really putting on a conference, there's a lot of pieces to it, as you, you would know. And um, I think a lot of the regional conferences, you know, that they're they're more used to the hands-on. It's it's a hard shift. And we're just fortunate that we've got staff that can help us do this. So Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Good stuff. So let's talk about your, um, your career uh, for a second. You know, you, um, more about research, really, but in your career, you've included a significant focus on research uh, during your time. Um, is there one particular research area or topic that you'd say has had the biggest impact on the fire service and, and training in specific, but the fire service in general, yeah. and, you know, any, any topic that you can think of? I, I would, I could always speak for my own. And I, I think this based on, on when I go out and I lecture about this and the discussions that we have, I think it's, uh, true for many other people. Uh, for me, it was ventilation. What we're learning about ventilation and how that impacts everything we do and, and the actual impact that it does have. It's a little more complicated than just the fire triangle. I mean, that's the critical point, and that's the point we, we tend to forget. But uh, we are learning with real, you know, live raw data and observations, things that we always kind of just intuitively supposed was happening. And sometimes we were spot on and sometimes we were off in left field somewhere. Yeah. And uh, that, that has been the biggest change for me. Um, I always joke to guys when I'm, when I'm lecturing, I said, now, I know you don't overventilate your fires and I've never overventilated a fire, but you, you, you know, you load up some fire porn on YouTube and everybody else seems to be doing it on a regular basis. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Just keep thinking you never overventilated one, right? Oh yeah. And the fact of the matter is that as often as not, um, in traditional residential structure, you know, uh, and even commercial, uh, we often let our ventilation get ahead of our suppression. Right? Too much yeah. air, not enough water, and bad things happen. And, and we don't need to let that happen. So uh, and I, for me, that was the big step. I, yeah. And I think it's true for a lot of other people. I, I think the even bigger step is that, as you would know, and any of us that have been around for longer than we want to admit, is that research has always been going on. You know, this is not something new that happened when you all jumped into the game. What is new is the fire service's involvement, direct involvement in the research and the interpreting of the data and the delivering the data to the other members of the fire service. I mean, no university 
together is a bunch of fire service routine, again, again, over and over again. Fire service subject matter experts to guide the research and to uh, write the, the technical recommendations that come out of it. That's all written by firefighters. Right. Uh, that's not a bunch of um, that's not a bunch of guys in lab coats. That, yeah. That's firefighters, you know, writing those tactical recommendations uh, and all that stuff. So that's been the, the biggest change. Um, yeah. And you know, we we call it getting the science to the street. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, I can attest to what you said about Keith Stakes and, you know, talking about how the uh, the UL studies, uh, they are firefighters actually doing the studies. The, uh, you know, I worked with a lot of those folks in the Washington, D.C. area and mm-hmm. uh, and with NIST and, and everybody that's there. And to see, you know, physically be in the laboratories with them and in, in those burn uh, scenarios with them. And watch that, you know, they're not just some lab coat scientist who's standing behind a glass door watching uh, Chicago Fire or whatever uh, yeah. it is that, uh, you know, to see them do it. But then also to have the Internet able to transmit that that data immediately oh, yeah. instead yeah. of being, you know, having to wait months and months to find it show up in a courier envelope as a paper document, because that's the only way yep. we had it back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we definitely have that opportunity to learn, and uh, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. The ventilation and flow paths and all of the things that come along with that are uh, one of the biggest misunderstood advancements of uh, our current time. So yeah, I, I think we're we're, we're going to benefit a great deal from from that. There's definitely uh, definitely definitely some important stuff, um, and you know that UL has done and and uh, NIST and all those groups, immeasurable stuff. And I appreciate uh, you all, both through the conference and through everything you do, working with those people, recognizing uh, those things. Because, you know, what a lot of people don't put two and two together on this, uh, you know, I I used to have, just to continue on the ventilation piece for a second, used to have people, um, and tactically, every department does things a little bit differently. And a lot of departments... It's uh, we're opening the roof, hell or high water, and uh, we're always going to send someone to the roof. We're all, you know, it's always about the roof and the windows. Take out the windows, open the roof. Um, a lot of departments had the coordination down, but the command uh, uh, coordination uh, and control, putting those three C's together is what it takes to effectively reduce the line of duty deaths and the injuries from those activities. Because, you know, like you said, as long as we've been around, how many firefighters were dying, not so much now because we've done a much better job, uh, yeah. but oh, yeah. how many were dying in situations where caught in flashovers or caught in uh, collapses uh, because mm-hmm. we weren't coordinating. Uh, and, and ventilation would take over those things because we did overventilate. So yep. we need to take a short break to hear a word from our sponsor, uh, EF Johnson, a JBC Kenwood company. When the mission is critical, no one has time for complexities. Kenwood's Viking FireSafe software enhances communication awareness in a dynamic fire scene environment, allowing firefighters to focus on the mission at hand. We know that you rely on radio communications as your lifeline. That's why Kenwood is committed to providing you high quality P25 portable and mobile radios that are easy to use. We make safe simple. 
Visit us online at www.efjohnson.com. Chief, uh, continuing with your career, when you started as a firefighter, would you have imagined the course your career would take you, specifically moving uh, towards the importance of research? Not my wildest dreams. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. Yeah, we are talking about the Chicago Fire Department here now. Right. And, you know, I, I make the joke because I can, because, you know, I, I lived it with them. And, and I've got to say, is, you know, the caveat to that is that they're a fine fire department. Sure. And, uh, and I learned a hell of a lot. And, and they, they are a progressive fire department. Um, but I, I have this really, you brought, you brought a memory when you asked that question. Um, so I'm, I can't be more than three months on the job. Our apparatus is in the shops, you know, and we're just sitting around waiting for the work to get done PM or something like that. And I'm sitting there. I was my generation of firefighters. I was one of the first generations on the Chicago fire department that was expected to get their firefighters three. So I'm sitting there with the book and a couple of salty dogs come walking by me and says, kid, get rid of that book. I've never seen anybody put out a fire by throwing books at it. You're wasting your time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I got it. You know, my dad was on the job. You know, I guess from a family of firefighters. I, I get it. And, uh, but subsequent to that, years go by, and I wish I could have found the son of a gun, right? And said, guess what? I yeah. put out a lot of fires with this book, right? Yeah. And so yeah. the, the flip side to that salty dog in the shops was guys that were um, chiefs and mentors in my early career, like John Ebersol. I don't know if you remember John. He passed away many years ago. But he was a leader nationally in the whole hazardous materials response and all that kind of stuff and bringing the fire service up to speed and all that. Absolutely. And so I had a lot of exposure to him. And one of the earliest fire commissioners – in Chicago in my career was uh, Louis Galante. And Louis was a, uh, even though he was fire commissioner, he still taught classes in the city colleges for the firefighters. And uh, he, he was a practicing architect and an engineer. So here's a guy, you know, with an advanced educational background that made it very clear that formal education was an important part of your career. You know, so I had those exposures early on. I didn't take very good advantage of them right away, but at yeah. least I had the exposures. And so when the opportunity came along, um, I was open to it. You know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chief uh, Chief Eversall uh, definitely was a number, and uh, you know he he coined uh, he coined the uh, quote that so many people use in their um, presentations that. Uh, you know, we we run 1,200 calls a day in the Chicago Fire yeah. Department, and the public expects us to be excellent on every one of yeah. those calls. Yeah, uh, they expect they expect yeah. five rocket scientists, you know, that are uh, you know all-star athletes. Yeah, that's what they yeah. expect. Yep. Uh, so, and of course, there's more to that. Uh, there's more to that quote. We'll just let it go and uh, yeah, let yeah. fill in the blanks there. And uh, I appreciate you. Uh, uh, chatting about that. Uh, John's uh, son was one of our volunteers in Prince George's County. So I uh, yeah, yeah. had the opportunity to meet him and uh, meet John and of course work with his son. So great, uh, great time. So the um, um, instructors and in research, you know, we've, we've talked about research. Why? So, and, and I'm asking this question kind of rhetorically, but why is it essential for instructors to incorporate research into their training? Well, it makes your life a whole lot easier. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if you can if you can reach back to somebody that's actually got the answers, yeah. you, you made me think of being a, a young lieutenant tip to teach at the fire academy for the first time, right? To be a, a recruit train part of the recruit training staff, right? So they pull guys out of the field, they put them down in the academy, and there's always got to be some new guys. I was one of the new guys, and it, I, I have some really embarrassing vivid memories of being asked questions. By the by, the recruits that I didn't have the answers to, other than because that's the way we do it, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, um, our students are smarter than they've ever been, right? They might not have some of the mechanical skills we wish they would have, but that's our job to fix that. That's nothing to complain about. They're better educated. They're smarter. They're going to be asking you questions, and you need to have the answers. I'll never forget another great mentor on my job, Eddie Enright, uh, still teaches with us here in Illinois, and he said. He took us whatever you wound up in his district. He was a deputy district chief. Any new officer came into the district. One of his many lectures he would give you was these young kids. I don't want to ever hear you complaining about the young kids on the job and asking too many questions. He said, that's their job, is to ask mm-hmm. questions. Your job is to find the answers for them. Right? So I don't want to hear any complaints about these kids today. You know? Yeah. Um, and he, he was spot on. And I, and I think that's where the research helps us all. And here's, you know, the other piece of this is you can ignore it. But your students won't. Sure. Right? It, it's it's accessible to everybody. There's no secret code, right? They're, they don't need a library card or a pass to the vault. Uh, all this information, they're carrying it around in their pocket, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so they're looking at it. And if they're looking at it, you had better look at it. Mm-hmm. So um, and really from a very practical standpoint, right, it does make your job easier. There's a lot of great information uh, explaining things. And that's just the UL work. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Um, just basic science programs, basic math programs that are all over the Internet on YouTube, you know, that can help you understand some of the things you had back in high school but you haven't looked at it for a long time. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. so we need to leverage that. We really do. I mean, it makes your life a whole lot easier. You know? Yeah. And I, you know, during my time, I've known a lot of instructors and firefighters and chiefs for that matter, uh, still today who feel intimidated by the idea of research. Um, and, you know, maybe intimidated is not the right word, uh, maybe afraid, uh, maybe, you know, whatever, but, what would you tell them to help ease that intimidation or that fear? How do organizations like UL and NIST really fit into the everyday training that uh, they need to do? You know, the, the first word that came to my mind, Mark, was delegate. Yeah. And yeah. It, you know, and none of us, none of us in any aspect of our life, of our life so want to jump in or get engaged with things we don't understand very well, right? Right. And and it's and it's, there's nothing bad with it. If if you learned how to fix a car um, at your daddy's knee, right, leaning over your jalopy uh, on Saturday afternoons, you might be a really really good mechanic, right? But you also might struggle with a modern vehicle, um, sure. you know. And and it doesn't it doesn't make you a poor mechanic, or it doesn't mean you don't understand cars, right? It, it's just the the world has changed a little bit, right? And and so you might need. Uh, go to a, a professional mechanic now, or, you know, and as a fire chief, or you might need to delegate that responsibility to get your guys up to speed on the latest, greatest stuff to somebody else. You know, you don't necessarily have to embrace it yourself. You just have to quit being an impediment. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's, a, that's a, a great, that's a great piece of advice right there. Quit being an impediment and hell, I could use that for so many uh, different areas that, uh, that I talk well, about. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Ahead. 
No, no. You know, you're, it, it's, it's just, that's one of the things I had to learn as a fire chief is I got people that understand, like just the whole online training and, and, you know, using those platforms and deciding which platform they should use. That's, I can't make that decision. I, I barely know how to open up and, and get logged on to one of those things. Right. But I got a young training officer that's all over that stuff and that's all have at it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so a lot of times, we just become these impediments and we just got to get comfortable with stepping aside. And it's hard, it's hard to get that up, right? Because a lot, you know, if you invest, this might be a little bit too off topic, but it just pops into my head. So in Chicago to this day, and it's probably a little less, but it's still common. It was certainly very common in my time is that to be the guy that went to the roof took you a decade or more on any decent truck, right? You just weren't entrusted. It was a very, very, difficult job. You were without a radio during most of my career, so you were truly on your own. Yep. And not only that, but in Chicago, we have a lot of, being on the roof really meant peak roofs. That's where you made your, your mark, right? That's where you, you proved your metal. And these literally 10-12 or 12-12 pitch peak roofs. Yeah. No roof ladders. Not, yeah. Get up there with a, with a pickhead axe and chop a hole in that peak, right? Crawling yeah. along the ridge line. Yeah. Now, it takes... It takes decades to master that skill. So here you all comes along with some research that says, you know what, by the time you execute that, maybe it's not really your best move. Yeah. Inadvertently, I've just invalidated your 20 years of mastering that skill. Right? I became a master craftsman at this thing, and now you're telling me it's not, not necessary, it's not needed. Sure. Of course I'm going to push. Of course I'm going to push back. Sure. Right? Or, or I'm going to turn my mind away from it. You know, and if we don't account for that in every aspect of when we're trying to implement change, is that you know people don't—they're not resisting it because they're—they're they're, they're just stubborn. I mean, there's that, but it, it's not as, as common as we make it out to be. And they're resisting it because they can't see the advantage of change. They're—they've mastered their profession, doing it the way they're doing it. Right? They're—they're they're masters of that. So if we want to invoke some change, we have to be able to convince them that there's a better way. Yeah, a better way, uh, maybe another way, yeah. Or, yeah, another way. Or, um, you know, so a lot of it, it just has to do with patience. You know, these kind of changes, you know, it's it's an interesting thing that um, seatbelts, right? Who would let their kid drive around in the car without a seatbelt? But we all all did it as kids, right? Cross country, three of us in the back seat, one of us laying up, uh, you know, the panel in the back we drove across the country. We had this old Dodge van. We had, my parents had nine kids. We drove across the country. The, the, the motor was in between the, the front seats, literally fully inside the vehicle, right? My brother, oldest brother, just sat on the motor yeah. for the whole trip, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, but nobody would do that today. Nobody right. would do that today. No, no firefighter today would would seriously try to fight a, 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 an interior firefight without an SCBA on his back. But yet, firefighters in my early career flat out said, I'll never do that. That's a waste of time. People are going to die, blah, 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 blah. Because they simply didn't understand how to yeah. use them, you know. And so some of these changes we just have to accept. They're going to take a generation. And as long as you're on the right side of things, just keep plugging away. Sure. sure. And it, it'll, all, it'll all come to be. All right. Um, you know, as we kind of finish up talking about 
research one really one more topic on research here um sure uh, you know there's always a flurry of research going on and sometimes it's an ad nauseum as you you hear certain people talk or um but talking about that research if you were given advice again um is there any particular recent research that you'd recommend for fire service instructors to either incorporate or really focus on in their training practices? Yeah, um, a couple of things that I always try to bring up uh, when, you know, again, when I'm lecturing or teaching a class is I, I, I always go through the standard, what's on the UL site, the recent stuff that's going on, where, and, and by all means that, right? Because that stuff um, that's at the forefront of what they're doing is uh, what firefighters can most directly benefit from. So, so my first piece sure. of advice is do do more of what you're doing because that that's what that stuff is there for. Get the science to the street. Get the information in, into the guys' hands so that they can make better decisions on the fire ground. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. That aside, or if you you say, okay, I'm doing that, but what else? I want to mix it up a little bit. I want you know whatever. Um, it's probably not a secret now. Because I know they've published a lot of stuff recently, but but a lot of work has been done on fire investigation, mm -hmm. and I know a lot a lot of jurisdictions, even large jurisdictions, struggle with that. They're still treating their investigations like it's an art and not a science, and that's going to get. I mean, people have gone to jail that shouldn't have gone to jail because of bad fire investigation, and that's well known. And um, yeah. so yeah. a lot of the work recently, Dan Andrukowski has been leading the charge and this has been directed toward fire investigation and, and how to do a better job there. So I would encourage guys to do that. Uh, and then the other piece of this, you know, like firefighter cancer, firefighter mental health, there's a lot of work going on um, in those areas too. Um, there's also a lot of screaming and yelling and finger pointing and, and fist slamming on tables. Um, but this is something, talk about something that's going to take a generation. I mean, we, we know that there's something about firefighting that leads to uh, higher risk for cardio, uh, cardiovascular events, but mm -hmm. we don't really know what that something is. And when you talk to the researcher, um, they tell you we're, we're decades away that this is going to take a long time to figure out. We're doing important work, but we're not, we're not there yet. So I would encourage guys to look at the work that Denise Smith um, out of the University of Illinois and Skidmore College. She works at both places. Kenny Fent at NIOSH, uh, Gavin Horn, uh, who works for you well now, they've pretty much been leading the charge on trying to better understand these exposures that we have. Um, and it makes some, for some, and again, this has been, this stuff has been produced in a way that it's digestible for the firefighters. So it's up to that training officer to get that to the firefighters. Because when they understand what their real risks are, they start making better decisions about yeah. how clean they get, when they get clean, all that kind of stuff. You know? So yeah, we need to uh, we need to demonstrate more of um, of that as chiefs and instructors, and not just uh, not just hear the research and the science, but actually uh, demonstrate as as leaders that we get it. So I, I appreciate sure. you guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's about it's about the the job that the researchers can't do is converting this stuff into policy. And yeah. procedures, right? That, that's our job as yep. fire service leaders. That, that's what we're getting paid for. And so, you know, it's incumbent upon us. If we want the guys to behave this way, then we have to give them policies and procedures that make sense, um, that they can follow, that are realistic and that they can follow. And when you do that, you know, um, you're much better, much more likely to get the income or the outcomes yep. that you want.
you know. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the one other piece of research um, that I'd like to highlight, because I think almost nobody knows how much is going on here, is, is uh, big data and using big mm-hmm. data and the work yeah. that Dr. Lori Moore yep. has been doing with that. And, and uh, so I encourage guys to just Google N4s, not N4s, N4s and fire cares and just it's learn what you can learn about what's going on there because there there is um especially when you start to get into the policy end of your career right when you're writing or impacting or reviewing policy and stuff most of us are trying to do this in a data vacuum we don't as a as a nationwide organization we don't collect our data and use it properly uh and, and dr moore is trying to fix that or help us fix that yeah so she's, done, think, she's uh, done a great job over the years you're absolutely right oh, yeah. Great, great to include uh, uh, her and her work in in this whole arena uh, of research. Yeah. Sometimes we forget data in and of itself is. Um, well, and again, it makes your job so much easier when you can go to your political betters and they want to know how come you need this or want this and all that. And you can bring up the statistics and say, well, here it is, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's done by it's, it's third party. It's not me. You know? Right. Right. Um, and, and so that can be powerful, powerful stuff. And uh, we just all got to get a little more used to that this is for us. It is accessible to us. It does have our best interest in heart, and we can use it to our advantage. Yep. I, I agree 100%. So, Chief, you took over uh, not too long ago as uh, uh, head of uh, ISFSI and uh, just wanted to kind of hear from you what's, uh, what's, what is ahead for uh, the organization with you at the helm. Well, what's you know they, when when you say you at the helm, then I get really nervous. I'm like, holy, no, I, this is on me. <laughs> um, but in, in all seriousness, you know, I, when I when I do think about it, uh, I think about it the same way I think about the way I took on the fire chief job in in Algonquin and Lake in the Hills, and I came in there as assistant chief, and then a couple years later became fire chief. And, and from the time I interviewed for the assistant chief job, I said, look, if you're looking for the guy that's going to be here for the next 10 years, I'm not your guy. I don't want to work that much longer, right? I've already got 33 years in. I want to be done pretty soon. And they were okay with that, right? So that kind of caused me to focus on uh, succession planning. Right. And who's here? Who can we develop? Who, you know, who's going to, who should we bring up? What kind of education do they need? What kind of training that they need? So I can get on with my life in the next few years. Right. And quit in a wage life. Right. Um, kind of similar with, with this organization. We have so much talent within this organization. And I think my job is to find them productive things to do. And that's where this mentorship program um, has, has come from in the, the, the uh, online training that we're doing is coming from and where the uh, developed professional development matrix, that's a huge amount of work. Guys are doing wonderful work putting that together. Um, so, you know, the, the, my job is, is to try to give all this talent uh, enough guidance to get them moving in the same direction and then get out of their way. Um, I, I have to tell you, you probably know Lee Hubbard. She's our executive director. And um, we, we couldn't exist without her and her team. I mean, they're, you know, it's the classic example of, do you want to talk to the man in charge or the woman that runs the joint? <laughs> she's yeah. the woman, you know, she's the woman that runs the joint and she does a phenomenal job of keeping us all in line and keeping things moving. So we're really looking forward to, we're, we're working with, uh, with one of our members, uh, leads the Africa fire mission. He goes out and teaches, provides training to a lot, uh, a lot of the countries in Africa. 
Um, we're working on a membership opportunity there. We're working on membership opportunities in China and France and uh, the Netherlands. So, you know, of course, we're looking to expand our membership. Uh, you know, you're going to call yourself the international society. You better be international. Uh, so we're looking for practical ways to do that. I hope that happens because the more, you know, we really do, and you're familiar with this, when you are truly a, a member-based organization, more members means more good ideas and more work gets done. And, um, you know, you just got to keep that going. So that's what I hope for the organization is that all this talent that we have, find something productive to do, <laughs> um, and then can, can move that forward over the next decade or so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, now, um, on uh, the African Fire Mission, you're talking about Dave Moore? Yeah, Dave Moore and his work, right? Yeah. So he, he came to us, he proposed, he said, look, you know, we have a, you know, our membership dues are $125 a year, right? Which for, a, you know, with what we're making in the United States, most guys, and I know there's the volunteers, it's a different game. But, you know, I mean, most of us can afford that. Um, that's an unheard of amount of money for a lot of the people that he works for. They don't see that much cash in a year. Yeah. So, you know, they want to be part of this and they don't want to hand off. They don't, you know, but we need a different structure for them. We need something that, that is, that's doable, right? That, that means something to them. Right. And, and so it was a simple change in the bylaws, right? And um, so we're able to do that. And then that will help him in his efforts to get those, those firefighters to join our society and, and get exposed to the information that we can help them with. Um, you know, he, he shut down like everybody else is now with the pandemic, but he's going online with some stuff. So we're, we're engaging more of our members in, in becoming part of that mission and getting out there and helping train firefighters in developing countries. So, um, yeah. 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 Good stuff. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. There's, there's, well, you know, there's always opportunities if you go looking for them, right? And, sure. And uh, the, the challenge always is everybody's got great ideas. It's it's finding that passionate person that's going to execute them. And yeah. um, and we've, we've stumbled across a few of those folks. Um, a lot of them are on that lineup for the conference. And so, uh, yeah, we're always looking for more. So I guess my, my message to the audience is join, call me. Call you want you want to get something done, we'll help you get it done. Um, well, there you go, folks. That is www.issi.org and join. And, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you too can uh, be able to to help the organization move forward in um, improving the uh, fire service instructor world, and ultimately through that, improving the fire service as a whole. Chief, I want to thank you for joining us uh, today. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you and, and having this conversation. Um, we've been talking with Chief Peter Van Dorp, the president of the International Association of Fire Service Instructors. I want to thank our listeners for joining us on this edition of Side Alpha Podcast. Join us on FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com for the latest news and information affecting the fire service worldwide. We'll talk with you next time on Side Alpha Podcast. This is Mark Bashur, Executive Editor for Fire Rescue One, asking you to stay smart, keep safe, and take care.